day, the third Sunday in Lent, is the Holy Gospel from St. John, chapter 2. The title of the sermon is Cleansing the Temple. What we heard about today in the Gospel reading is an interesting event in the life of Jesus. Because many people often like to think of the meek and mild Jesus. And there are certainly many times that he displayed his quote-unquote softer side. We think of that image of the Good Shepherd who goes out to find the one lost sheep and returns carrying it on his shoulders. Or of the smiling and welcoming Jesus, welcoming the little children to come sit with him. Or the Jesus who is having compassion on those that are struggling and hurting and healing them miraculously. But the Jesus that we heard about today in the reading kind of went berserk, it would seem, wouldn't it? He shows up at this holy place of the temple and he gets angry. So angry, in fact, that he gets a whip. And then he proceeds to, with that whip, drive people and animals out of the temple. And he's not done yet. He scatters about all the coins of the money changers, and then he literally is throwing over tables. Now, of course, the Jesus that had compassion on thousands of hungry people and miraculously fed them is also the same Jesus that cleanses the temple in this big scene. The same Jesus who would later call his opponents vipers and whitewashed tombs. So Jesus was not exactly a shrinking violence. He was very strong. He was a, a very forceful person. But at the same time, he was a very compassionate and kind, and kind man. And we can be assured that all of the times that he acted and all of the times that he spoke, he did so without sin. Because he was perfect. He was the only one without the stain of sin. So what was it? What was it that caused Jesus to become so upset as to do what he did in our gospel text? Well, first, it would be helpful to set the scene. It does that at the very beginning of the reading. St. John tells us that this is the time of Passover, which is the highest of the high feasts for the Jews. Saints Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they also recount Jesus cleansing the temple. But in their accounts, they come later chronologically in the Gospels at the beginning of Holy Week. But John's is much earlier. It's only in chapter 2. So some would say, well, John just puts it out of order. John's cleansing of the temple, it's understood to be the same thing, but out of order. But I think actually they, there's some debate about this, but the, the best understanding of this is that there were actually two separate cleansings of the temple. That at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, at his first Passover's ministry, he cleansed the temple. And that's what we read in John. But then at the end of his ministry, his last Passover in Jerusalem, he does that once again. But regardless of if there's one or two cleansings, this being Passover, the temple was busy. It was humming with activity, because Jewish pilgrims had come from far and wide 
for this feast. And they needed an animal to sacrifice at the temple. So there's a lot of animals there. There's a lot of money that is changing hands. You could say even for these merchants, this is their equivalent of Black Friday, Passover week. I mean, they are probably going to make more money this week than any other week during the year because there's so many pilgrims there at the temple. But it's actually not the simple fact that they're selling animals for sacrifice and the money changers are there at the temple that is wrong. Indeed, some have tried to use this text to say that no group in a congregation should ever ask for money or to ever do any type of fundraiser on church grounds. But the meaning of the text and the proper application of the text beyond us to look beyond just the fact that they were buying and selling. Because the animal sellers and the money changers did serve an important purpose. We actually see this happening at the temple way back in Exodus when God sets it up at the tabernacle that there's this buying and selling of the animals that are needed for the sacrifices. And it goes on without incident. Because the pilgrims that are coming to Jerusalem, well, most of them could not practically travel with the kind of animals that they would need at the temple, right? So when they got there, it makes sense that they need a place where they can purchase the animals that they need. And it also makes sense that the people selling these animals, well, they should be fairly compensated for the property that they're selling. Additionally, what about the money changers? Well, these pilgrims are coming from many regions. Some of them did not use the same money. So like when you go on vacation, if you were to go to another country, there would need to be some kind of money changer that you could exchange your currency to use the currency that was in effect there. Furthermore, the, they were required as pilgrims to pay the temple tax. This was mandated by the Old Testament law. Well, you had to use money to pay the temple tax that did not have a human image on it. And Roman money did. So you would need to, at the temple, exchange Roman currency, even if you had it, for shekels, for Jewish currency that you could pay the tax with, essentially kosher money, if you will, that you could pay the tax with. Okay, so if the buying and selling and the money changers are actually serving a function, they need to be there in some ways, well then, what is the problem? Why is Jesus chasing out people and animals with a whip, slinging money on the ground and overturning tables. Well, it's because as Luther described about this passage, crass commercialism. What these necessary exchanges had evolved into was a blatant profiteering and price gouging. A holy place, the most holy place, had essentially been turned into a flea market, into an auction, and the holy and commanded acts that needed to take place there were almost secondary. And additionally, the temple was run by the religious party of the Sadducees. The Sadducees ran the temple, and they had a nice system for them where they received a commission off of all of the commerce 
first that was done at the temple. This temple system was one of gouging and money-hungry people. A fair-minded person in Jerusalem, if they were honest about it, would tell you that what the temple system had become was wrong. It was a house of business, of commerce, as opposed to a place where people were piously going to serve God. So into this corrupt system that had developed that was based more on mammon than God, Jesus enters. And Jesus makes a statement about that, doesn't he, I would say. He cleanses, he purges the temple of sin. That's why he said in verse 16, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Again, I don't think we should say the youth group or and some other group can't ever do any kind of fundraiser connected to the church. But at the same time, when you come in here, it shouldn't be like you're walking into Walmart or the outlet malls, right? We don't want that feel. That's not what this is for. Well, the disciples, they actually be called Psalm 69, verse 9, and verse 17. Zeal for your house will consume you. So Jesus is not sinfully angry here. He is not angry simply for anger's sake. He is consumed by zeal. As Luther would write about this text, zeal is an angry love. Or a jealous love, as we heard in the Exodus passage about God being a jealous God. His anger, Luther writes, does not arise from hatred, it springs from love towards God. So we might be thinking when we read this, you go, Jesus, you get them, you teach them a lesson. Look what they've done to your father's house. But at the same time, we must examine our own hearts. Because the Bible in the New Testament tells us that we, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should ask ourselves, what does Jesus need to cleanse from our temples? No doubt, it's plenty, is it not? Have we put money on a pedestal, either by being stingy and giving to the Lord's work, hoarding that money, or maybe even overcharging people in our business because, you know, it won't really hurt anything. And I think we can even take this a little more broadly than just sins dealing with money. What wicked thoughts and desires need to be cleansed from our temples? As we heard about in the Old Testament lesson, it's commandments spend a lot of time on idolatry. What idols have we constructed? Maybe not physically, but what idols in our life have we put above God? Idols that need to be torn down, scattered, overturned, and driven out. Now, obviously, what happened that day got people's attention, didn't it? And in fact, it speaks to the authority and presence that Jesus had. That one man, even a man with a whip, could clear such a large and chaotic scene says a lot about the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus had done what he had done, he was questioned. Remember, they love to question Jesus, their religious authorities, and they do that here at verse 18. What sign do you show us for doing these things? 
You know, they say, what gives you the authority to do this? You know, why did you do this? What, what kind of sign do you have from God that says you did the right thing? But if anything, what we have just witnessed happening was an indictment of those very religious leaders, wasn't it? Because they were the ones that oversaw the temple. They were the ones that were allowing this greedy system to take place. And Jesus had just made a little statement about that, what he thought about it. So the answer that Jesus gives to their demand for a sign, remember in 1 Corinthians, St. Paul writes, what, the Jews demand a sign? The answer Jesus gives is pretty interesting to their question about a sign. The answer that he gives is one that they don't understand, but it's very profound. Verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You can almost see their heads shaking with their follow-up answer to Jesus, can't you? It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it up in three days? Well, indeed, Herod the Great had begun building that temple decades earlier. It was quite the project. In fact, it was still under construction at the time of Jesus. Much of it was complete, but you would have seen scaffolding. They were still working on it. 46 years later, and it would actually not be completely finished until 64 AD. In the construction of this temple, gold and marble were literally, liberally used. The temple had colonnades, and these colonnades were made of white marble, each of them 40 feet high, and each of these colonnades carved out of one piece of marble, a block big enough for a 40 foot pillar and craftsmen carved this out. There were four courtyards, one each for the priests, for the Jewish men, women, and then there was an outer court for the Gentiles. This entire temple area was surrounded by walls 1,000 feet long on each side. That would be the equivalent, the interior area of those walls of 25 football fields or four whole city blocks. So it was big. It was very large. It was very impressive. And Jesus is saying that this could all be destroyed and then he could rebuild it in three days. So they may have thought Jesus was a little crazy based on what he had just done and what he had just said. But even if they thought that, they were concerned about this Jesus because many people were listening to him. He was gaining a big following at the early, of his early part of his ministry. And now what has he done? He has just cut into the money they're making by chasing these people off because they're getting a cut of it. They're pretty concerned about this Jesus. But just as verses 21 and 22 told us, Jesus was not referring to that physical temple in Jerusalem where they were standing. The temple he's referring to is his own body. And that temple would be destroyed. It would be destroyed by the smiting, the flogging, the crown of thorns, the nails, and the spear. But you know, actually the temple where they were standing that day, it would also be destroyed. Only six years after they fully completed the temple, 
just six years after they completed it, the temple was completely and utterly destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans during the Jewish rebellion. And it would never be rebuilt, even to this very day. Today there are only ruins left, you know, the Wailing Wall, and what sits atop where the Jewish temple once was, a Muslim mosque sits upon it. But the temple, the temple that Jesus is talking about, the temple of his body that would be destroyed, it would be raised up again. Very literally. Because on the third day after they took his lifeless body down from the cross, well, Jesus would emerge from that garden tomb very much alive. And as verse 22 stated, the disciples at that point after the resurrection, they would understand what Jesus was talking about at the temple that day. And as incredible as a man dying and then rising from the dead is, it is what that accomplished that is even better. Because what Jesus accomplished in his passion, in his dying and rising for us, meant that if that temporal never was rebuilt and it hasn't been, that's okay. The physical temple. Because when Jesus died and he rose again, no more animals would need to be purchased for sacrifice anymore. No more money changers would be needed to pay the temple tax. And in fact, no physical temple at all is needed. Because Jesus, the perfect God-man, in dying paid the penalty for sin. He fully paid the sin debt for all eternity that no animal could atone for. Because he was the spotless Lamb of God. In fact, that whole sacrificial system and the whole temple system, it all pointed to Jesus. And with the cross and the empty tomb, all of it is fulfilled. God's dwelling place, his temple, is now directly with his people. That's you. That's me. The temple was cleansed in our text for today. Sin was driven out from God's very presence. And in the cross, God banished and defeated sin. And the true temple of Jesus Christ and his body has been raised up. It's still standing, and it's still saving today. Thanks be to God for that. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.